Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. My guest for this episode is Trish Wright, a recent permaculture design certificate graduate developing an urban food forest in Roanoke, Virginia. We recorded this conversation in person as part of my visit to the area. When Trish contacted me about her work, I wanted to interview her and see her project because she's practicing urban permaculture. With more than half of the world's population living in cities, we need to see and understand the examples of what works, where people are. Let's go to them and practice permaculture. In addition to that city piece, I also wanted to talk with Trish because she's relatively new to permaculture and has a different perspective from many of the guests on this podcast who have devoted years of their lives to this material through the practices of design, teaching, or authoring books on the subject. May her voice inspire those of you who are just discovering the system of design to go out there and get your hands dirty. For those of us who have been doing this for a while, what about going out to explore and try something different? Experiment in the world around us to break out of the mold of the things that we normally turn to. Start a new guild you've never thought of before, or tear up an old design and put a new one on paper. Before we begin, I am in fundraising mode this fall and need your help to get 2015 off to a good start. If you are in a place where you have some financial surplus in your life, please consider making a one-time or ongoing monthly contribution to the show. Find out how at www.thepermaculturepodcast.com. I also want to thank Jen Mendez at permikids.com for her ongoing sponsorship of the program. We continue to talk about bridging the gap between children and adult learners in education and permaculture. Find out more about her work at permikids.com. There you will also find information about her series of Edge Alliance webinars, as well as her educational design course. If you have an event, organization, or a personal interest in sponsoring an episode of the podcast, please let me know. Show at permaculturepodcast.com or call 717-827-6266. Now then, on to Trish. I'll join you again afterwards. Then Trish, why don't you give us a bit of your biography and background, how you came to practice permaculture, and we can take the conversation from there. Hi, Scott. It's nice to meet you, and I feel honored to have you here checking out my project. I come from a, a varied background. Actually, I was a military brat, traveled around a lot. Um, we have lived here in Roanoke most of my life. Professionally, I did a lot of construction work as a project estimator or manager in Baltimore. I lived in Baltimore for six years and worked for a design firm who did Christmas decorations for shopping centers across the country. So doing general sketches and layouts and to scale things, I had a little bit of experience with taking blueprint reading and, and drafting classes and such by hand. I don't really like the computer drawing CAD things myself. And then I've somehow gotten into more of an administrative accounting type thing, which is really very boring to me, but it, it was paying the bills. And I started gardening, actually, although we had a garden when I was growing up and my grandfather had a farm, I hadn't started gardening until 2010 Almost immediately after seeing Food Inc., I plowed up my entire backyard practically and, and started growing. And then in 2013, I was lucky enough to be able to take the online permaculture course um, at Oregon State with um, Andrew Millison and Marissa. 
I mean, it's just been a transition after starting the garden in 2010 as just a conventional garden, more or less. No pesticides, though. It was organic. It's transitioning now into being the food forest area of the garden. And then I'll have annual beds closer to the house as I continue to proceed and funds are available to do so. And when you were walking me through your garden, you were showing me the various guilds that you've been developing as part of your design and your layout. You have your chickens in one area, you have a section that's going to be devoted to your annual vegetable garden, as well as then the perennial food force that you're developing. Can you walk us through where some of your design ideas came from and why you chose the layout that you did? And then also for the listeners, I'll take some pictures of your design that you have here that we've been looking at so they can get an idea of what this layout looks like. I guess the the idea for design, I mean, I liked the idea of the food forest concept. I'm not a big stickler for, you know, it's got to be just so. But I I grew up playing in the woods. I I love the woods. So it kind of appeals to me for that reason alone. The idea of perennial foods that I don't have to work every year for, and they just kind of come as magical. I mean, in the spring to see all my herbs coming back, is it's a great joy. Layout, it just it kind of happened organically. And it's still, you know, even though I have a design I've worked, put a lot of time into, there are some changes I have in mind for it as I go along and, and actually see things, you know, in, in three dimension. So, I mean, it's just it's what I like to eat and what would help them. And you're doing a lot of growth on contour in your backyard, and you have some trees integrated into those. Was there a particular order or process for where you placed your trees? Um, I did start on contour after doing my conventional gardening style and finding that the more northern sides were not producing as well. They weren't, the plants weren't growing as well, and I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized they weren't getting as much water as the lower through natural drainage. So I did lay out beds, semi-raised beds, on contour. The placement of the trees were more of trying to limit shade or work with the shade and where it would fall to work. So like the pears are going to be pretty substantially large trees when they're full size um, was the main thing. Looking at aspect is really what was driving me more on that. Can you give us a walkthrough of what you're currently growing in your garden? Oh my goodness. The trees, I have two pears, two different pears, nectarine, hardy fig, pawpaws, black currants, elderberries. Then I've got strawberries and comfrey and rhubarb, lots of herbs, oregano, rosemary, sage, chives, parsley. I mean, I, I, you know, and then I had the annual things I grew this year, you know, which are your typical peppers and onions. And there's still some things I have potatoes, sweet potatoes are still in the garden. I'll leave those the potatoes, the regular potatoes, to harvest through the winter instead of trying to store them because they don't store so well. If I leave them in the ground, they do well. Sweet potatoes I'll have to dig, and they store well in the house all winter. The one thing this year that has been wonderful to watch has been the pollinator plants. My first year with bee balm and uh, the bees, I had so many bumblebees, even wasps, and I added ground waterers this year. And the, the yellow jackets really seem to like those more than anything. And you also mentioned that you're inviting in lizards and amphibians. Yes, I've been trying to attract, um, attract them to, to help with pest control because I don't use any chemicals. I don't even use like the soap and water sprays usually unless I'm like totally desperate. I'm, just, I'm trying to create a balance and I'm seeing it happen. It's, it's just in just a couple of years of creating the habitat 
not being overly clean. I mean, my grass will grow out there as weeds within the garden to almost my knees. <laughs> and so the green snakes, I have rough green snakes this year that appeared out of nowhere. And I literally like screamed and jumped up and down with excitement when I saw them. I actually videotaped it too. Everybody was like, you're weird. You're excited to see a snake. But um, they're great. They would climb up in the pole beans and, you know, they would just be my pest control. Harmless and beautiful on top of it. It's fun to watch. How much area have you devoted to this garden? Like how large is the lot for listeners to get an idea? I'll post a picture for them to see, but it's kind of hard to know just how much space you're not growing in relative to many of us who are thinking, oh, well, I need three, five or 10 acres to do something with. It's about 200 feet by an average of probably 75 feet. The lot, it's an odd shaped lot. It's kind of shaped like a crystal kind of goes out and then to a point in the back. I plowed up originally in 2010, 2000 square feet for actual garden cultivation area. There's an equal amount of space behind that, which is also going to be some trees. It's where the black currants and the pawpaw is. It'll have a meadow area for pollinators and butterflies, hopefully with, with a beehive eventually. And I want to put a bat house back there as well. And then between the garden and the house is another probably, it's a, another 40, 45 feet, which is where the chickens have been up to this point, because I got the chickens before I really knew permaculture. And that's where they were to be protected. That will transition to be just annual raised beds right outside the back door. Is there any issue with raising chickens in the city? There's not. We are very fortunate. We can have up to 10. Well, I can have up to 10 on this lot. I only have three right now. I'm single, it's just me, so I don't need a whole lot of eggs, so I don't need to overdo it. And the chickens do a fabulous job pretty quickly in incorporating them into to working, doing some work for me as well, to earn their keep and their joy. The chickens are a blast to have around. They're wonderful, social, chatty little girls. And one of the things that you're doing here that I really got to experience on this urban lot is inviting in animals. As you say, you've gotten the snakes to come in. I saw a lot of birds which I was really surprised to see just in the couple of minutes that we walked through. And also you say that you've got a whistle pig that's kind of hanging out and you're feeding from time to time. Oh yeah, Sam, the groundhog. Quite interesting. If people would stop being like angry and trying to over control, you would see that I didn't show you his home. He's got this hole that's in an old stomp is what it is. It's where all that burdock was. And it's huge. It's massive, deep tunnel. And he has an exit about 50 feet away. I mean, this is a huge, I can only imagine what it's like inside. I couldn't bring myself to destroy it when I first met Sam. We had our disagreements. So I put a fence up, I buried it, and he would still seem to manage to find a way in. So I decided to try planting some collard greens outside of the fenced garden area, specifically for the groundhog. And it worked. He was amazing. He plowed them down after they got, you know, about eight inches tall. But he left enough to where they regrew. He did a cut and come again, and he got four harvests out of his garden. I don't think he ever went in my garden at all that year. But then this past year, I didn't do that. And he learned to climb the fence. So, um, but I want to work with him. You know, I'm willing to plant a little bit for him and give a little bit as long as he doesn't completely destroy everything. The birds as well, even the hawk who's come after the chickens sometimes. I'll, I go out and, and shoot him with a camera because he's beautiful. But I, I also chase him away so that he can't get my girls because I'm overprotective of my animals. 
What kind of a hawk is it? He is a Cooper's hawk. I don't see many Cooper's hawks in Pennsylvania. We see a lot of red-tailed hawks. And we have some peregrine falcons as well that nest on the Rachel Carson building in Harrisburg. I love seeing them and all the birds too. The little chickadees. There was a chickadee in the bird bath. The best thing I ever did was moving the bird bath back there as well. And it's close to one of the pear trees for an easy escape. If anything got after them, they're pretty protected because of the fenced area right now. That will open up eventually. The chicken wire fence will come down. I also have skunks. I have groundhogs, possums, and raccoons that come around. And I shoot all of them with a camera. I love them all. They come right here on the porch. Even the skunks. I'm fearless. I love the animals. You say that you earned your permaculture design certificate in 2013. Was that the spring or the fall? It was the fall class. So a lot of the development in the picture that I took that will be posted with this episode is really just in the last growing season this year, 2014. There was a lot, definitely a lot achieved this year. But it began the year before last, the trees went in. But the actual, you know, the comfrey and, and really creating guilds and that really started shaping more this year. Can you share with us your nectarine and fig guild? Yeah, there's a, the nectarines aren't doing very well here, though. It's sad. I mean, they were beautiful last year until, until time to harvest. And it was like, like two days, they'd be ready. And they got the brown rot where they like practically mummified overnight. It was, I was so upset. So I haven't had any yet due to humidity here in Virginia. But along with it, I have the fig as the understory to the nectarine, sort of. He's a pretty good-sized fig tree. Um, I have comfrey and echinacea and strawberries in the guild now with a little bit of red clover as well. I also have a ground-level reptile water dish there because these snakes, the green snakes, rough green snakes, they like to climb the trees. Um, They like to be up. As we said earlier, I'm not the biggest fan of snakes in person and up close and personal. I love to take pictures of them. I like them from, from afar, but not up close. Though I was afraid of spiders at one point. I'm getting over that. Yeah, I have lots of garden spiders here too. For anyone who's just getting started, say they're thinking about a PDC or they've just graduated from a PDC, what would be some advice that you'd have for them as someone who's still relatively new to this world of permaculture? Expect failures and to, yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. And it's okay. I mean, because we're dealing with plants and stuff. I mean, you can grow something new or, or it can, things can change so quickly. It's to just be flexible and let, let things happen organically. I think they just, it'll come to you as, you know, you don't have to have it all planned out, even though I went through a very large plan. I'm not afraid to change it as needed. And then you also mentioned that you've been working with some other people about different projects. One was with a large farm that does interactions with the public. Yes. What has that process been like in gaining more experience as a permaculture practitioner? It's good because I am very new at it. So I'm, I'm like game for doing designs for, for people. Cornucopia Volunteer Farm in Culpeper, Virginia. They grow just for food pantries. Everything is for, for the needy. They asked me if I would do a pro bono design for them in a hundred square feet area. Well, a hundred by a hundred square foot area. And I opted, of course, to do perennials and tried to get them to do some like persimmons and uh, things like that of native plants. 
but yet food plants and trees to offer something different besides the corn and potatoes that they're growing, you know, your common foods. And also included a lot of herbs, you know, because they can use it. I included a, a solar dehydrator for the site where they could dry the herbs right there to give to the pantries. And blueberries, lots of blueberries to add fruits and stuff for the people. And how did you come about getting that experience? Was it someone that you knew that you talked to? To come upon that project? Yeah. We were Facebook friends. Okay. And um, I was like talking about my classes and showing, sharing assignments as I went through the class. And um, he, he asked me if I would do it. And there you have folks. Make sure that you're using your social networks in order to connect with people and get more information and more possibilities of what you can do with this system of design. The other thing on the networking uh, I'd like to share is the current project with, um, it's a collaboration between Goodwill of the Valleys and the Roanoke Community Garden Association, and Virginia Tech will be doing the illustrations. For Goodwill, you mean the charitable organization that runs the, does the clothing drives and things? Exactly. They have um, several stores here, but they have a property at um, corner 24th and Salem Turnpike here in Northwest Roanoke, which is... um, it's actually near a housing projects area. So it's a lot of low income. A lot of people from Burundi actually have been gardening in the community gardens. And we are working on designing a combination of the community garden and a food forest element to it, along with educational, possibly a greenhouse. And it's called Growing Goodwill Garden. So I'm real excited about working on that project with people. Well, Trish, thank you for spending the time with me today that you have for this short interview. And taking me around and letting me see your garden to take the pictures that I did for sharing the information that you have with the listeners about what it's like getting started. Do you have any final thoughts before we draw things to a close? Enjoy it. Jump in. Don't be afraid to start. I mean, even throw it out there in the middle of your yard. Don't be afraid because then you have a starting point and you can grow out from there. That's what I'm doing with the gills. You know, there's far, not real far, but they're, you know, 40 feet apart from each other. But the plan is that they were, will grow outward and blend into each other. And then over the years, you'll see the materialization. And um, experiencing your garden, I think, is the greatest reward of it all, even beyond the food. Thank you for adding to the voices that bring about more abundance in the world. Thank you. And that was Trish Wright. You can see examples of Trish's design work in the show notes at www.thepermaculturepodcast.com. Some things that stand out from this conversation are about how much you can do with not a lot of space, which was a recurring theme from the trip to Roanoke, which you'll hear more about in the interview with Lee and Dave O'Neill at Radical Roots Farm, and also with Holly Brown at Island Creek Farm. 2,000 square feet, what Trish originally started with, is less than 1 20th of an acre, yet she has dozens of species of plants that are useful to her and the wildlife and is able to develop multiple guilds in that space that will expand and integrate into a full food forest garden. With wildlife, she's also planting for other species, such as food for her groundhog, pollinator plants for pollinators, and also water features for birds, snakes, and amphibians. Her situation is a great example of how we can work with nature rather than against it, and can do a lot of good in our designs by including such things, and grow the system to have more yields even if they don't appear to benefit us directly by producing food or meeting a human need. Finally, 
I've done a lot of what Trish did to gain experience early on by volunteering with different projects. If you're interested in hanging out a sign and doing design work professionally, spend a few years working with or for others whatever chance you get. Here, Trish is doing work with a goodwill and a local farm. I worked with a church and a nonprofit. I've also had people contact me with questions through Facebook because they knew that I practice permaculture. And recently, an old friend of mine who's a single father with six children has been consulting with me via text message on how to create more self-sufficiency for a large family. There are many people who want this information and your help. So ask around, put yourself out there, tell people what you're doing, and you'll get the assignments you need to help build your portfolio of permaculture design work. If there's any way I can help you get in touch with local groups or organizations to help you get started, or you'd just like to sit and have a conversation about what you can do next, let me know. I'm here to help you create a better world every day. Give me a call, 717-827-6266, email show at permaculturepodcast.com, or join in the conversations at facebook.com slash thepermaculturepodcast, or follow the show on Twitter where I am at permaculturecst. Until the next time, spend each day making the world around you the place you want to live by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.